Good evening. It's time to begin. Uh, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119 and verse 57, uh, we'll begin our lesson in just a moment. And if you were here last week, even if, if you weren't or did not participate in the lesson, you will not have any problem being able to pick up with what we're doing. But we are, of course, looking at, uh, we're going to be finishing our study of verses 57 through 64. It's a joy to be able to be uh, in this place, to be able to study God's Word together. Amen? It's a joy to be in this place and to be able to study God's Word together. Amen? Amen. Very good. Thank you for, for doing that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our most gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we are so mindful of your goodness and your grace. Thank you for allowing us to open your truth and study it. Father, we are so aware that there are many who are hurting during this hour. We're thankful for those who have been sick and they have recovered, who have begun to show improvement through the difficulties that they face aware that there are others who are just now beginning to face those difficulties, that there are family members grieving tonight, that there are those who are still wondering what the days ahead will, will be because of not only this pandemic virus, but other things. Father, we pray that you would be with them in accordance to your will and bless them as only you can and that you would allow us, especially tonight, to take a few moments and clear our minds of concerns and worry and to study your truth with clarity of heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for just a little while, let's open our Bibles. And in Psalm 119, I invite you... Let me turn this on. I invite you to verses 57 through 64, and let's read them again in their entirety. And this particular section, um, well, we'll come to that. Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Through the cords, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. As we look at this particular passage tonight, or as we continue, remember I'd mentioned last week that this section of Scripture has to do with, or or gives us the opportunity to consider more closely, my personal response to the Word of God. This particular passage is full of verbs, full of action that the Word of God prompts me to do, that... uh, prompts me uh, to think and to be and to, to react and respond. And so as I think about it from that perspective, as I allow the Word of God, you know, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it is, is living and it's powerful. As I allow that living and powerful thing, God's Word, to work within me, right alongside the blood of Christ and His grace and the Holy Spirit and all the things that we know are real, when we allow those things to work within us, then you and I, uh, especially as we think about these particular responses, become focused in our service. And so then, as we think about that, I want us, we've looked at one through three, uh, and I am still trying to find a balance one week I, I go too fast and overview, and then one week I go too slowly. Uh, we just have to dig deeply, and I'll try not to. Uh, last week, if I'd slowed down much, I'd have stopped. So 
much more. So I'll try to do a little better tonight. And we will get through this because it's that important. But I promise you, I guarantee you, if you will dig deep into this, this will give you something to study about more. This will lead you or, or whet your interest in knowing more about, hey, what does this mean for me? That's what I've learned as I've studied these particular verses and these particular words. They make me want to do more. They make me want to. Now, let me say this on the outset. Can I be a, for lack of a better term, a novice Christian? Can I be a beginning believer and read this for face value and, and get something from it? Absolutely. But when I go back and I look a little deeper and I go a little further and I'm a little more mature, then I learn something I hadn't learned before. I, I, I realized something that I hadn't realized before that I wasn't able to realize to begin with. Okay, I hasten, I do not delay, verse 60. Let's think about that for just a moment. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Now, what, that word keep we've already looked at just a moment ago, the idea, or, or last week rather, the idea of not just obeying, but attending to, guarding, making sure that your commandments or a part of my life, not just checked off in a box. Yes, I did this, check. I did that, check. I, I didn't do that, so that's another check. But that's not what the word keep means. That I, I guard it within me so that it, 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 I cultivate it. I preserve it. I let it continue to become what it's supposed to be deep within my life, and then it does what it's supposed to do. But notice here he said, I hasten and do not delay. Now, Answer this question. We're attempting to be as in, for, in a class setting as we can. You can nod your head, you can say something, but if you say it, you've got to say it loud. But when you see that, how many of you initially would say, you know, that's kind of repetitive. He kind of, I hasten, that which means what? I, I'm going to, to hurry, and, and I'm not going to delay, which not mean, means I'm not going to linger, I'm not going to tarry. Well, when you first read that, does that not sound like he's saying the same thing? Yeah, don't linger. I'm not going to. I'm going to hasten and not. So when I look at it a little further, is he just being emphatic? Is he just emphasizing that I'm going to get busy and, and not hang back? But the word delay in the Hebrew has the idea of, of tarrying. It also has the idea of hesitating. The idea of well, I know I should, but I hesitate just for a moment. Now, I want to tell you something. God has, I love, I don't know what kind of hobbies you have. Some of you fish, some of you hunt, some of you do a paint, some of you read. I don't know what your personal hobbies are. Some of you run, uh, and I know Brother Ken likes to run. Uh, I love to listen to him talk about running. That's about as far as I really want to go with that. Uh, but, but I like that. The more you talk about running, the healthier I feel. Which, see, so... That's kind of encouraging to me. Uh, but I love to, God has blessed me to deer hunt. I like to deer hunt. And I had an opportunity to see an eight point the other day. But he was moving in such a way that I had one opportunity. Now, I was blessed to be able to, to take another one later, but a uh, smaller one. But I had just a moment. And I wasn't sure if I could really make that shot, so I waited just for a second, and then he heard me. That was it. I hesitated. And then that opportunity had already passed. Now, when you consider that the word, I, I do not delay to keep your commandments, that doesn't mean, that doesn't just mean that you get busy and do it. It certainly includes that. It's the idea that I don't hesitate. I don't hesitate because if I do hesitate, oftentimes, then I'll begin to doubt. I, I'll begin to procrastinate. I'll begin to find other reasons, and then that habit will stop being as much of a habit. I hasten, and I think personally in my own study that this word hasten, it does mean to hurry, but it also includes this Hebrew word has the idea of the attitude that's involved, being eager, being eager and with excitement and joy. I hasten, it doesn't just mean that, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to get up and go do what I'm supposed to do. No, it's how I'm getting up. I'm getting up to go do what God wants me to do because I can't imagine not doing it. 
And that's what the word is. Turn to Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. You are, of course, familiar with Titus uh, 2 and verse 11 and verse 12. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, but to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. But when I make my way down to verse 14, and I read the words, who gave himself for us, talking about Jesus, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own, for his own possession, who are zealous of good works. Oftentimes, let me preface what I'm about to say with, when I, when I, when this teacher, this preacher says oftentimes we do this, I'm talking about me, Aaron. I'm talking about, I feel like I've done this in the past, that I, and I've learned to maybe think a little better, think a little differently. Okay. And I hope those of you whose names I've already called are not offended. That's the teacher in me. I can't help it. I've had a new class, and I've been getting into that habit. Um, so, and don't do like some of my students do. When I look your way, you're afraid I'm going to call you, so you start scrunching down in your seat, because that's, that, that'll be, make me uncomfortable. But the idea, we read that verse, and we think, okay, that means we're supposed to be working. We, we have to be about the business of doing good works. That's a true statement. Absolutely, it's a true statement. But we cannot forget that. Sometimes we use that verse and we talk about the grace of God teaches us this. See, we're supposed to be a working people. Now, y'all get busy and do something. But look at that. That verse was not there for someone to shame you into or, or to... Uh, that we're supposed to be self-doers and self-starters. How do you know that? The word zealous. That's, the word zealous is an interesting word because it means enthusiastic. It means absolutely almost over the top. The word zealous is sometimes hard for us because when we trace it back as Bible students, it, it, it has a negative connotation because Simon the zealot, the, the zealots in the New Testament, those were a group who were not known for their good behavior. They were so... Oh, they were so all in their belief that they sometimes got carried away. And so we have to, it reminds me of that passage of Scripture where Jesus teaches us how to pray and he uses the example of the ruler who uh, does what the widow asks because she keeps coming and coming and wears him out. And we think, God gets wore out with us. And I said, oh, you've missed the whole point of that passage. The point of the passage was he wants you to pray and he wants you to pray diligently and regularly, and he used that example. It wasn't a negative lesson. We have to be careful of seeing that. A zealot is an example to us. I'm supposed to be zealous, full of that same kind of... You know, it's interesting to me, that same kind of zeal, that same kind of fire and enthusiasm and want to that makes us self-starters. Instead of saying, hey, will you come... And be a part of this. Will you be a part of Lads the Leaders? Will you be this? Will you be that? The problem should be, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And uh, I got a problem because I've got too many people and not enough spaces. Uh, wouldn't it be something? I can't imagine what it'd be like to go, to go to an elders meeting and say, gentlemen, I have a problem. I have hurt some people's feelings. Because I have so many people wanting to teach that I've had to tell somebody they couldn't teach for a year and they got mad at me. I'm going to be honest with you. I would I'd laugh my head off. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? It, we could have that problem. We ought to have that problem. The idea there of being zealous. So here he says, I am so excited to be a part of God's kingdom. I am so full of enthusiasm that I do, I never tarry and hesitate to do what he wants, to find out what he wants, to put that into my life. That's an attitude. Isn't that powerful? If I had that relationship with the Word of God the way that I should, can you imagine what good God would do and will do with me? Now, let's look at number six. And number five, I mean. I'm not... Very good at math. Number five, I do not forget. 
I do not forget. Okay, did you notice already, and let me back up here, that in verse 4, I do not, you know, I do delay, and then that little not slips in there to stop the action. Same thing here. If um, we look at, there we go. I do forget not. It stops the action. I, I do not forget. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your word. For us to truly understand why it's so important here not to forget, we must read the whole context. The idea of cords. And man, that's an interesting Hebrew word as well. The idea there, of course, the wicked, the word wicked, the cords of the wicked, the word wicked in the Hebrew means the ungodly, the unrighteous, the morally wrong. It also means an actively bad person. So this is a person who knows, perhaps, God's word and rejects it, is behaving in a way that is immoral and does it regularly and enthusiastically. Now, can you nod your head? Do we have that kind of problem in the world? Well, of course we do. Of course we do. So, though the cords of the wicked, tell me what a cord is. See, most of us, we think of a cord, we think of what we plug into the wall. But that's not what this is. The King James, I think, uses bands, uses bands. Well, what's a band? Because when I think of a band, I think of a rubber band. What? Yeah, but that's not what this means. We use this word that way. What is a cord? It's a rope. How many of you remember hauling hay with seagrass rope? Okay. Do you know how many strands are in a seagrass rope? Too many to count, right? Can you, uh, can you pull, can you break a seagrass rope? With your hands? No. Unless you pull all the little strands out and weaken it. It's, they're woven together. They're bound together. So this word in Hebrew, the word cord, has the idea of a, a, raw, uh, um, a cable, uh, a rope that's made of twisted fibers. You know what's interesting here? Now, here's where I have to be careful not to spend too much time. It also is used in the Bible and has a reference of a rope or a cable or cord being used as a measuring line. Now, that's interesting. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But the word cord literally uh, means there are fibers twisted around into a rope, into a cable. Now, have you ever seen a, a cable? Any of you know what a guy wire is on an on, on electricity pole? Are they twisted around into a strong cable? Now, those are pretty strong, aren't they? That's why they're there in the first place. If you really want to test their strength, you should think you're smart and try to mow under it instead of weed eating. That's another story. We won't discuss that openly, uh, except to say it doesn't work. Um, you, you get that, don't you? Now, let's think about that. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. Now, the word ensnare, King James, I think, says rob, though that Hebrew word is very... Um, the meaning here has the idea of um, t in, if you think ensnare, what do you think? Catch, trap. But what's interesting is when you read this word, when you dig into this Hebrew word a little bit, yes, you get to that place, except it means to say again and again, to protest, to encompass intensively, to encompass around to the point you're trapped. And you think, what in the world is that got? Well, think about it for a minute. Think about it and think about what Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 says. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And think about what Matthew 13 and verse 22 says when Jesus explained the parable of the soil and the soil, the seed and the hearts. He said the seed that fell among the thorns... Remember the story, the thorns grow up. And I can, uh, I never read that passage without thinking about the first time that I planted uh, peanuts at with, without following my grandfather's advice. You know, I decided you did not have to hold them regularly. That was too much trouble. But when you pull them up, after all the grass has grown up, you realize it was more trouble than it would have been to hold them properly. Because you lost a lot of peanuts in the process. Some I mean, of you are grinning because you probably tried that and done that. Because those things got wrapped up. Okay, now let's think about that for a second. 
And I also remember um, this summer when I planted um, okra. Morning glories love to grow in gardens. I know that. And you know, when you start trying to pull a morning glory off of the top of an okra uh, stalk, the end of it may be way over there, and it's wrapped here and there and everywhere, and it's wrapped. And it, you, you, if you jerk it, what do you do? You pull the whole stalk, pull off things you didn't mean to pull. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Now, look at verse 22 of Matthew 13. Here's where he explains, and hopefully then I'll explain. For as... As for what grew, was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. Okay, think about that for a second. The word cares, the word cares in the Greek has the idea of being distracted, of being drawn in many directions by the anxiety that pertains to this life. Now listen to that. The word cares. Sometimes if we're not careful in the English, we don't dig deep enough, which means that we don't, we're not led to think deeply enough. The lesson is there, but it could be so much more powerful. Those who are among the thorns, the thorns grow up and choke out the word. Can that happen to you and me? Absolutely. Now, the word cares there means the anxiety that builds up in my mind over this life to the point it distracts me, to the point that I'm spending more time thinking about wondering about, worrying about, fretting over what's going on out here as opposed to what should be going on in here through God's truth. Now look, more than ever, I think it's interesting that this particular lesson comes at this particular time, whether that's through providence or God's promise that His Word will always be what you need right when you need it, or a combination of both. Y'all listen to me. I don't want to slow down just a second, and I really want you to hear me. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. I'm going to go back to that word ensnare. It has the idea of trapping, but the word actually is used in the Hebrew to mean someone who is saying something over and over in a protesting, in a negative way, so that it encompasses you to the point that you get distracted from what's right. You get trapped. See, we may be thinking about sin reaching up and grabbing us by the ankles or being trapped in a... But that word actually means that the... the immorality of the wicked swirls and swirls and swirls around us in our ears, buzzes in our heads until we can't think. We, we spend more time thinking about that because it's distracted us and upset us than we do about what God wants us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but right now, that danger is as real as it's ever been. I don't know what you're going to do Tuesday morning, but I hopefully am going to wake up get up, read my Bible, say my prayers, and go to work. And let God handle the heavy lifting. But it would be really easy. I remember when we first rolled over the border into Kuwait, I think, in 19... whatever that was, sorry, 90 or 91, way back when... And I remember very well sitting down after Wednesday night service in front of my television and being surprised when I looked up and the sun was coming up. I had literally sat there all night and listened to commentators and folks who thought this and that was telling me that. And boy, don't you know I was a happy Christian when I went to work? No, I wouldn't. I, I was ready to pull my hair out waiting for the end of everything because my world was all shaken up. And I think about what must it have been like to live in Jerusalem and have Roman soldiers walking down the street and hear their armor clank outside your door. What must it have been like to have been Daniel and be so blessed and know one wrong move? You and I, we have to be careful that we don't allow the immorality and the wickedness that Satan manages to stir up 
on a regular basis to get so powerful that it, 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 it ensnares our thoughts. Because here's David said, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, he was going through some difficult times. But he said, I do not forget. And the word forget is a powerful word here because it literally, it, yes, it means to mislay something, uh, to leave something behind because of forgetfulness. Uh, it, but what is this forgetfulness? We sometimes say, well, that's just, we can't help it. That's just the way we are. But this word, this idea means is that I'm oblivious to something. I'm oblivious to something because of the want of memory or attention. I stop paying enough attention to it that I become oblivious to it. Somebody please tell me what oblivious means. Because I'm not standing up here just to uh, impress you with big words. What's oblivious mean to you? What, ma'am? To, yeah, to look the other way. Now, do we, or when we are oblivious, is that always deliberate or conscious? No, we become oblivious because our minds have focused somewhere else, right? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Uh, a good example, and I'm really not trying to make a husband joke here, though it probably is more than just me. This really happened. I, 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 it does. Lisa can attest. She's sitting right back there. But on one occasion, I, I really get into certain kinds of programs. Uh, I, I'm a little nerdish. I like Star Trek and those kinds of things. And uh, there was such a program on, I would imagine. I don't even remember the program. But I remember full well, apparently, there'd been a conversation going on. She'd asked me several things. And she actually said, and by the way, the house is burning down. And I said, fantastic. That's good. And then I thought, wait, what did you say? That really happened. She said, the house is burning. I thought, okay, that's good. Because I'd been answering this whole time. I had no idea what she said. I was oblivious to it. I was participating in it because that's what I do. I was the husband. I was supposed to be there. And I was there. And my wife was talking and I was answering. But in truth, I had no idea what was going on because my mind was focused somewhere else. Now, as silly and as laughable and as, as minor as that is, can you imagine some instances in, in everyday life where that could be problematic? <laughs> yes. Now imagine if I have that mindset spiritually. Sometimes, David said, the cords of the wicked, they wrap around me so much, and I get so anxious about what's going on in the world around me that I become oblivious to the things that are more important. And I must not. I must not forget what you say. Because that's what drives out the negative. That's what drives out the discouragement and the temptation. So we, we need to do our best to, to think about that and remember that. But let's think about number six. I rise. Notice what David says here in verse 62. I rise, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Now, the word rise there has the idea of to, to literally, that word is, is pretty simplistic as far as its meaning, or pretty straightforward. It means to arise from a seat or a bed. But it also, in other words, I, I get up. Uh, I, I need to be up for whatever reason. But the word also includes the idea of rousing up, stirring up, um, uh, strengthened, waking up, that kind of thing. Rousing up includes awakening. Now, those of you who, ha raise your hand or nod your head if any of you still have care for children who are in high school, college, school of any kind, okay? If any of your children ever gotten up, brushed their teeth, dressed, and, and gone to school and actually still not been fully awake, oh, I see, yeah. That ever happened to anybody? I see, uh, apparently that's also a problem in the, at the college level, maybe, perhaps. Uh, yeah, uh, as a teacher, I see it all the time. Uh, and you can tell the difference. This word means that. When it says, I rise up, I, I, I not only get up, I get out of whatever state it was in that was not conducive to doing this, but I also 
that's men mentally, emotionally, spiritually, internal. But I rise up to praise you because of your righteous rules. Now, this word praise is a very, 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 very interesting rule, uh, word. In Hebrews 13, 5, and we'll look at another verse in just a second. But through him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips to acknowledge our name, his name. Now, sometimes we might think of praise just being singing or that being singing. But in that context, that doesn't appear to be isolated or limited to, to singing praises. That would certainly be included, as Scripture shows us. But the idea of the fruit of our lips, which show His name, give His name, honor His name, share His name, that the idea of praising Him with what we say, outwardly, verbally. David said, at midnight I rise up to praise you. This word in the Hebrew, though, literally means... Now, I won't go too far with this particular word, but the idea here, to hold out... This, this word, rise up, or uh, praise you, means to hold out your hands physically, to throw a stone or throw an arrow. You're, you're throwing something forward, and, and it means in the spiritual sense, to revere or to worship with extended hands, to praise with thanksgiving. Now, I'm certainly not saying, don't go away and say, Hodgins said that you've got to raise your hands. And No, 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 no. Because I could raise my hands all day long and not be praising the Lord. But the idea here, this word means, was used in the everyday of throwing an arrow. I am, now, okay, here's what I gather from this. That... I rise up, I rouse up, I get up, and I praise God. It's something that I do. It's something that comes from me outwardly to God. It's not just something that I acknowledge. Sometimes we say, yes, I praise God. That means I acknowledge Him as, as uh, uh, King of the universe. I praise God, which means I don't worship the devil. That's a verb. If you praise God then that's something that you do from in here out. And so when you think about that, now, before we leave this, I have to uh, throw, the, throw an understanding of, of structure here as far as English, Hebrew is the same way, the structure of the word, or it wouldn't be translated this way. Because of your righteous rules. What does the word because mean? That's not a trick question. The word because. What meaning? Why do we use it? Why do we have it? Oh, come on now. A reason for doing something. Okay. I rolled up my windows because it was raining very hard. Okay, so why did you roll up your windows? Not just because you decided it was a cold day, not just because you got the notion to. There was a specific reason why you did that, right? That's what led you or drove you or motivated you or, or you responded to that and that's the result. Does that make sense? Nod your head like this if it does or this way if it doesn't. It makes sense, right? Okay, now watch this context. I rise up to praise you. I am motivated to do that. Not just because suddenly I got the urge to do it. Not because it's been a great week or because what happened, you know, things happened in the world that made me happy that I hoped would happen and so now I'm in a praising mood. Sometimes that's what we do. But here David said, I rise up to praise you because of your righteous rules. I remember that what you say, what you ask, the things that you have outlined as your truth, that's how I live in a part of my life, I have rem they are righteous. They're right. They were right yesterday. They're right today. They're going to be right tomorrow. And that righteousness fills me up. And that's why I praise you. Not because I'm emotional or emotionally motivated. No. I may be motivated and I may be emotional, uh, but neither of those is my reason. I praise you from an understanding of your truth, from your righteous rules. They 
drive my praise. Now, imagine what a difference that makes when we, when we understand that. Okay, let's think about number seven. I am a companion. That's an interesting passage as well, verse 63. Remember all of these. Now, this particular, here we come to a word that isn't an action verb. Here is an, it, this isn't an action, but rather, as we might say, if you remember this from English class, this is a being verb. Uh, I am. Well, you, are, you am what? Well, I'm a companion. Now, again, in the English language, the word companion could mean a lot of things. In fact, that immoral element we talked about earlier has used, has taken the word companion and, and kind of sullied its good meaning. Hasn't it? But the idea of companion here, actually, I love this word as well. Y'all can tell I like words. This Hebrew word means to, it's an associate. It's a companion, it's a, a fellow. But it includes the idea of being knit together. It has to do with the relationship from not outwardly and inwardly. These two people are knit together. These people are knit together. That's the, what the word... It, the companion doesn't mean I am an associate. I'm a companion because you and I know each other, or we come to the same building, or we see each other at work, or we participate uh, in the same ball league and, and we don't kill each other, so therefore we are companions. But that's not what this word means at all. This word companion that's translated for us here from the Hebrew has the idea of you are a very close associate and you're knit together with somebody. In fact, there is a... a it, it, the, the definition, when I looked it up, actually gave a scripture. In Judges chapter 20, in Judges chapter 20 and verse 11, so all the men of Israel gathered against the city. Okay. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city. That sounds, uh, that's a very powerful verse, isn't it? Except that's not all the verse. It goes on to explain how all the men, or discuss how all the men of Israel gathered against the city. The rest of that passage says what? United as one. Some translations say as one man. Now, that's interesting because when you read verse 21, now the ESV, the English Standard Version, says the people of Benjamin came out uh, of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israel. The men of Gibeah, or the men of ben Benjamin. Now, when you look at that, it says the people of in the ESV, but the King James and the New King James just says Benjamin came out because they understood the meaning of that word, of that word up in verse 21, the idea of being joined together as one man of being united in such a way. Now, okay, take that passage, take this understanding, I am a companion, I am that kind of, I have that kind of knit together as connection of all who fear you and all who keep your precepts. Now more than ever, and I'm not trying to preach here, but I mean this with all of my heart, now more than ever, we must rise above the understanding that we are a part, well, we're in this congregation because we're not here, 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 and here. That we are all members of the church. That means we're all on the same role. The only role that matters is the one that's up there. But if we're on that role, that creates a certain relationship. Now, I see it, and I'm thankful for that. But I want you to think about it individually. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 please, and verse 10. Many verses we could look at here, but chapter 1 and verse 10. Now, again, I think I've been notorious uh, or guilty in the past of using this verse too isolatedly to talk about, well, we must not be a part of any kind of false doctrine. We must not be a part of any kind of divisiveness or, or any denominationalism or, or things of that nature. Because well, Now, can you, is that in that passage? Well, you better believe it. But wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that you, there be no divisions among you. Okay, now, but that's not stop. But that you be united in the same mind and judgment. That goes beyond just, y'all better all teach the same thing. Now, is that a true statement? Of course. 
But look what he said. There should be no divisions. When he, when you, if you back up and read prior to verse 10, it wasn't just a matter of someone else teaching something that was the way it ought to be. That might have been involved. But the problem was they were making divisive. They were being divisive. They were making sects uh, of, uh, or groups that became opposed to each other or part and separate in some way at least. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Don't be divided, but instead, be of the same mind. And you know, and I'm a little ashamed of this, but perhaps for the first time in many years of reading and quoting and certainly believing 1 John 1, 7, I finally understand why a passage of Scripture is there. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from our sins. If we're not careful, this is the way we read that. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us. Now, is the cleansing of the blood important? It's essential. But you know what else is essential? That fellowship. If you and I walk in the light as he is in the light, if the light is in us and we are in the light and the blood of Christ cleanses us, there is a relationship that not only does exist, it must exist uh, among us. So we need to think about that. Um, I am companion of all who fear, of all who's, those who keep your precepts. Now, let's go to this last verse, verse 64. We look at this passage, my relationship to the Word of God. How does it prompt me? The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. What does steadfast mean to you? Constant? Ma'am? Never-ending. Never-ending, constant, doesn't let up. Steadfast. Okay. Now, it's interesting to me that David concludes this whole section of saying these are the things that I am going to do when I am connected to your truth. Your truth prompts me, leads me, guides me, causes me, makes me want to, motivates me to do these things and be these things through, through it, through you and through your word. And he concludes this verse, a stanza in a song, before the next thought begins, and he says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, and it never lets up, and it never quits, and it never stops. And then he made a statement, Teach me your statutes. Now, what's interesting is that, you see that semicolon? Now, if we really wanted to, if I had a board here, and we wanted to be uh, a little... I wanted to show out a little bit. I'd write that up there. It asks you to tell me what the subject of teach me your statutes is. And if you remember back in the day, you'd write a Y-O-U up there in parentheses, the understood you. You're saying, Lord, you're everywhere. You please teach me. Now, so I want us to end on this thought. I want us to end on this thought. This idea... Um, if you have ever been a Bible class teacher or a public school teacher, retired or you're still a teacher, or elementary or high, it doesn't matter. See if you can finish this for me. I won't call anybody's name. Students, no matter how much you study or how much you know or how much you love them or how much you put into what you're trying to teach them, Students will never learn anything until those students listen. They will never listen until they... So who said that? They want to. They want to. Listen, and I want to be careful here not to... to I just need to be careful. Uh, is that in my humble opinion that the uh, education system over the years has poured countless amounts of money down a never-ending hole in the hopes of getting somebody to learn something. 
And we in the Lord's church, sometimes if we can just build up a certain... But folks, until I want God to teach me, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. This meant David said, Lord, I know you're everywhere. Teach me. And when you and I open that door, the door to our hearts, and that's something... And don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that a relationship with God is an individual thing, but yet it is. Because there's only one person that can open your ears, and that's you. There's only one person that can open your heart, and that's you. So, what a powerful passage. Now, we're going to do something. I don't know where Chris went. Um, but uh, if there is anyone who... Okay. Is there anyone that did not get a chance to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, and needs to do that? We're going to do it, they're going to do it a little differently. Anybody raise your hand that's in here tonight? Okay. Then that takes care of that. We're, we were going to just take care of it in here. To Anybody? Uh, you got to raise the word to see it. All right. One? Okay. So, uh, bow with me, please. We're going to do it that way. Heavenly Father, as these who are partaking of the uh, remembrance of your son's death do so tonight, as they uh, remember, as they take this bread that reminds them of your, it represents your son's body, may they do so in a way that pleases you in your service. In your son's name, amen. Let's continue. Father, also as these partake of this cup, the fruit of the vine, which represents your son's blood, may they do so in a manner that remembers his suffering and his sacrifice. In Jesus we pray. Amen. If you are a parent, uh, go and retrieve your children at this time. And yes, you have to go get them. Uh, I saw somebody who put a meme on 